It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Stephanie Bansomer-Brown. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. How are you? I'm well, thank you. That's a lovely intro. Well, it's the least we could do. You are the second person with the last name Brown or part of the name Brown on the show. We had uh, the amazing Les Brown, the motivational speaker on a few short weeks ago, and he was an an incredibly inspiring individual. And I'm going to say that you are along the same lines in terms of your inspiration, in terms of the short time that we've known each other. But before we get into... That's a big (laughs) Well, before we do... How, what about this Bansomer Brown? Can you fill us in on the details of how about that happened? Oh, well, I'm actually, my main name is Bennett. Um, and I was marrying my husband, who is a Brown, and he says it's common, uh, sorry, popular, not common. Um, but I didn't want to be just a Brown. Um, so I took on the name Bansomer, which was my mother's maiden name because she passed away. So I changed it by default. So hence Bansomer Brown. And she lives on. She lives on forever. She does. She lives on, which is nice. And it had a much nicer ring, Bansomer Brown, than Bennett Brown. Well, look, if you're happy with it, I mean, names are one of those things. I mean, uh, being christened with Laban, I thought for a long time was a curse. <laughs> it's, an old, it's an old Testament Bible name, and it means yogurt in Arabic, oh. uh, which explains why I'm so cultured. But... Um, <laughs> I found I found out in later years it actually means fight, like to show fight in the main Filipino language. And now I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm gonna Laban, I'm gonna own Laban. So yeah, own that 100%. stuff. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for coming on the show. And uh, you're an, you're incredibly busy. You're a mum and a wife, and you are a, in a very senior role with the uh, Bell Cancer Australia. Yes. Yes. You're, that's your current role? Yes, I'm a consultant to Bowel Cancer Australia. I uh, with their marketing and PR, but I'm also an ambassador as well. Beautiful. And why is that? Because I've had bowel cancer. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, that, the non-sexy version of cancer is what I've had. Um, and I'm really passionate about making sure we start talking about our bums and food. Well, no better person to talk about it, and I'm, I'm totally comfortable uh, if you're willing to share some of the background about how you got to this point, uh, Stephanie. 100%. So I was living a very um, 
busy life. I was, you know, head of marketing and PR for Network 10 and had been for 15 years. Um, I'd had my son. He was two and a half. Um, and probably 12 months before I was actually diagnosed, I was just not feeling right and there was blood in my poo. But, you know, as we do, we go, you know, life's too busy and it's too important. I need to get that next series of MasterChef launched. And uh, that was happening over here and um, someone, you know, some talent's been naughty that I need to deal with. Um, so that took over my life and I just kind of put it to the side because I'd been to the doctor um, and it was a locum GP, not my normal GP at the time, and mentioned that, you know, my bowels weren't right. Um, and she said, oh, you've just got hemorrhoids. And at that stage I was about 40, yeah, it would have been around just over 40. Um, and as I later discovered, uh, they like to put women in these little boxes, you're too young, you are female, you won't possibly have bowel cancer. Um, so I didn't really pursue it. But luckily for me, my sister's a genetic counsellor in Adelaide. Wow. And she said, can you please go and have a colonoscopy for me? Which I did. And lo and behold, um, they discovered a tumour. Um, and uh, I later found out it was stage three. But there started a very... Um, interesting journey for me and luckily for me uh, a wonderful journey in the sense that it allowed me to pivot and I didn't know at the time the pivoting I'd be doing but as we are often thrown a fork in the road life changes um, and I'm one of the lucky ones. That's that's amazing and I don't know a lot about bowel cancer I know that it might have been on my on my mother's side of the family um, with some distant relatives but was it unusual for you to to pick it up at that age versus the rest of the population um well as i've later the benefit of hindsight and working for bowel cancer australia now you're never too young to have bowel cancer um and you should always look for symptoms so if you had symptoms my there were very clear signs for me blood in my poo was the major one plus my bowel habit had become quite irregular so you know we don't like talking about poo and this is part of the reason why we need to we you know um as females we go and check our boobs um men are aware thankfully more often now about their prostate um but no one wants to talk about their bum because there's this preconceived you know notion that it's icky and you know i don't know what you like as a kid but my mum said don't talk about your poo you know um and we're really i don't know at what point it changes you know my son at 11 there is nothing funnier than a fart joke or to talk about poo now he's been brought up in a house do you still like it yeah is it <laughs> It's still one of life's great pleasures, I think. Do you know what? When I um, I'll go off to the side. But when I um was going through this process, I said, I will be able to fart again, won't I? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually it's something when you're in the comfort of your own home and no one else is around. There's nothing like a good fart and the rest of the fart. 
So, but for me, it was, so, so women are often discounted, and especially women who've just had a child. And I hear this so much now in my role at Bowel Cancer Australia. So many women from the age of about 32 to 42, 43, I've had my last child, I've had a child, the doctor said, no, you don't have bowel cancer. And it's really frustrating because I think, you know, if you went in and said, I've got a lump, they'll send you off for a test immediately. But what they do often, and I'm generalising, but in general, um, they'll go, no, they'll disprove everything else and then come to bowel cancer last and by that time it can be too late. So, I mean, from my initial seeing a GP to when I was diagnosed was 12 months. And that would have grown and could possibly have changed whether I was stage two to I was stage three and whether I had chemo or not. And can you imagine if you were stage three and you went to stage four, which often happens, and went and stage four is, you know, it's metastasized. So we need to change that mentality and get people thinking because yeah, it's oh, you're a woman, you're young. You don't possibly, can't possibly have bowel cancer. Well, it's interesting, Stephanie, because I think up until maybe in my late teens, I was convinced that women neither pooed or farted. And uh, I don't even think yeah. they went for a wee at one point. Um, and uh, mind you, I did think vaginas were um, horizontal until I was about 10 years old, I think. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Maybe some poorly made uh, dolls when I was growing up. But um, but I think, you know, that. and when you look at you, Stephanie, you know, you're, you're a, a very successful woman in your in chosen fields. You are a beautiful woman, if I might say. And, and the fact that you're able to so candidly talk about these things, I think is really empowering. And this, I think, encapsulates the whole spirit of this become your own superhero because hopefully someone watching this, will recognise something that's a little bit askew and it doesn't have to be, you know, blood in your stool or whatever. It might be that lump in their breast or recognising something, whatever it might be, and getting it checked out. And so we, we really thank you for, for doing that. And clearly you've become really comfortable doing this, which is what I absolutely adore. Yes. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the healing process, how long was that and what did you go through? The healing process. So I embarked on um, chemotherapy and I also had, talking about, you know, talking about poo, I had a ileostomy bag, which is a bag that you're pooing um, and that is, re ileostomy is reversible, colostomy is not. Right. Um, and so my healing process was quite, I wasn't quite sure what it held for me and the thought of pooing in a bag for the rest of my life scared the fuck out of me. To be real. <laughs> um, I can remember my surgeon saying, you're more worried about having the bag than you are about the cancer. And I said, I am. And I know that might seem really superficial. And looking back, but, you know, aesthetically, it is like having a bag. I, I once said a girl cannot have too many bags and, you know, I've rethought really that. There's one bag I didn't want. <laughs> um, 
Um, and it's not a very sexy thing. Um, you know, you wake up in the morning and you've got this little, this bag on you that's blown up like, you know, those little mini footballs? And it's, it's full of gas. <laughs> and you're worried you're going to roll over and it's going to pop. Um, having sex with that is not the best. Um, you know, I, you learn to live with it and you learn to do those things. But um, it was a real eye-opener for me. And I, again, am lucky. And when I say I'm lucky, I'm lucky because I caught it in time. My cancer was rectal. So it was right at a join and I had a, an exceptional surgeon who managed to, you know, sew it up and, um, and allow me to go back to normal. So when I say I wanted to fart again and poo again, I've only, it's been, what, eight years um, since my surgery and I've only just got back to normal in terms of uh, going to the loo. And that might seem um, crass to some, but that's really important. It's changed the way I think. You know, when I first had gone through chemo and had my reversal of my bag, I had to watch what I eat. I still can't eat chilies and anything too hot. But I'd walk into a shopping centre, for example, and I wouldn't go, where's the nearest witchery or shoe shop, I'd go, right, where are the loops? I need to know where the loops are because my bowel habits were so different and it took two years for that to come back to relative normality and really eight years to be back to normal. I still wake in the morning and I have to go two or three times because my, um, you know, we're going to get really into the nitty-gritty here, but, Please you know, yeah. where... The, where your, your rectum's where you hold your poo before it comes out. So that's much smaller, which means that I don't have the same capacity as others. Um, and what I'd say to people if they think, ooh, I don't want to talk about poo, I can guarantee you the aftermath of having bowel cancer is far worse than looking behind you in the toilet to see whether you've got blood or going to see a doctor because your bowel habits just not the same you know I would give anything to have not gone through that process um and you know be be normal I suppose and I'm lucky I know women um and men but a lot of women who um have a bag and they are young some women haven't even found a partner um and imagine them finding a partner and saying you know, I've got a, a bag. There's, it's so many challenges. Um, so all I can say to people is trust your gut and if you think that you are not right, then you've got to go and see a doctor. Um, I've kind of veered off course there, haven't I, in terms of recovery. But for me, recovery was all about, I had a come to Jesus moment, I suppose. Um, and I worked in TV and I was made redundant um, in the middle of chemotherapy. Channel 10 effectively, um, did, I can't say sacked me, they did make me redundant, but there was not a lot of compassion there. Um, I can remember being hooked up to chemo and calling 
the um, head of HR at the time and saying, my six months is up, but I'd like to come back in January when we start the new season. And basically he said, implied, don't think we want you back. Um, and I feel for people currently going through COVID who have been told they've been made redundant in a really difficult situation. And that was part of my recovery process because, quite frankly, it was fucked. And although they could legally do it to me, um, it wasn't a very nice, ethical thing to do when you consider I'd worked for them for 15 years and I didn't work nine to five. I worked really fucking hard. <laughs> um, and they didn't even want to pay for my farewell in the end. And it was, it was, you know, it was quite hard. I'd lost a lot of people. It was a change at Channel 10 and I haven't talked about it much, but they were not very nice to me. Um, so my recovery process was I'd lost my identity. I'd lost the things in my life that were normal. Um, Channel 10 was, a, was something stable and I'd, I'd been there for 15 years. Um, I'd had bowel cancer. My life, I, I, at that point when they made me redundant, I didn't know whether I was going to live or die, to be perfectly blunt with you. Wow. Um, and it made me reevaluate life. And thinking back on it, I'm actually really fucking thankful because um, it made me re-evaluate um, what I actually wanted to do with my life. And, you know, my life at 10 was wonderful and I love the entertainment world, but it's a very fickle, vacuous, self-centred um, industry mm -hmm. um, filled with promoting air, effectively. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard a describer. That's, that's, really, that's really clever. Yeah. Thank you for sharing so, that. Sorry, you continue. You tell me. You tell no, me. no. So, you know, my recovery process, I think, was um, it was really important. And hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. I can look back on it and go, thank God that did happen because I don't know that I would have liked the person that I would have been had I stayed there. But at the time, they took everything away from me that I was holding on to outside of my family, and my family were very important. But, you know, I really valued my job, and what I found was my identity was wound up in my job. It was, it was ego. I was hurt. I was angry, and I, was, I thought, God, you know, what are people going to think about it? Because, you know, I had a really... Um, high pressure, uh, high, highly sought after position. Um, and people fell off, don't you worry. All of a sudden I was of no value to them because I wasn't head of marketing at Network 10 anymore. However, what it also showed me was people within the business that I'm still friends with today that reached out um, and some pretty high profile people as well that were there. And to me I call it sorting the wheat from the chaff you certainly see what sort of human beings care about the human rather than the position. Um, and I would say that to anyone that's in a point of pivot, um, you know, we've all heard the, the sayings, you know, you can grow from 
from negative situations and find the positive in things. And I'm a very positive person. And that is true, but it is also very hard to do. Um, and you have some real, I had some real downs in that time. Um, and I don't think they realised what they'd done to me. Um, and I was disappointed in a number of high-powered women in that organisation that didn't come, um, didn't stick up for me in that time. When you were at your lowest point, Stephanie, what were some of the things, A, that you experienced, but B, that you used to help get you out of that funk that you can share with other people that they might be able to use? Well, I had a little pocket that was two and a half, three at the time, um, which gave me all the, um, all the encouragement and, you know, requirement for me to snap out of it. You know, three, as many people who've had young children know, them running around, um, they don't really care. They don't, you know, they're there to make you snap out of it. They will make you realise what the positive is in life. Um, and after home learning, sometimes the negative. <laughs> <laughs> Life's not all, all Instagrammable with your children, let me tell you. <laughs> But um, for the most part, you know, I had a husband that was amazing um, and still is amazing. Um, I my child. So I had a family environment that really made me pop out of it. And also I'd lost my mother um, many years before to ovarian cancer and she was 42 at the time. Wow. And I, I was three months off 42 when I was diagnosed. So... Um, I'd already had a moment in my life that had given me, you know, I watched her die. I was standing there watching her die um, in the hospital and I cared for her for six months, um, which was a pretty hard thing to do at, at 20. Um, so I'd had that moment and but I had perspective and I think... When you're feeling really low, it's allow yourself to feel low. Allow yourself to grieve. Um, allow yourself not to put pressure on yourself to be this bright, bubbly human. Um, also, I, I do think that, you know, in, in the world of social media, and I've been at fault, absolutely. We, we tend to put the best bits of our life um, out there. And I say this to my son, you know, he sits there and he watches NBA. It's his thing. And all he watches is the YouTube clips. And he sees Michael Jordan getting every shot in. He sees, you know, Steph Curry getting every shot in and the good parts of the play. He doesn't see all the negative parts of the play. And it paints a very different picture. And I think in life, there are going to be down moments and you've got to embrace those down moments. But Finding your way out of that hole is finding something that gives you some joy um, and, and living the experience and knowing that those, even those that you might admire or role models or the rich or the famous, they go through it as well, just we just don't see it. Um, and, and to understand that you, you know, you can allow yourself to have those down times. That's beautiful advice, Stephanie. And uh, 
you know, having gone through my own challenges over the last, you know, five years, I can totally empathize with you. Mm. Thankfully, knock on wood, I haven't had any of the, uh, the major medical ones, but um, I don't think it really matters what it is that's, that's causing the great challenge, is it? It's just like find a support network of people that, that properly love you and actually care about you. Um, one of the things I like to talk about is, you know, don't be afraid to polarize the people that aren't providing any value in your life. Is the right oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I think that is a really important fact. I probably, when I was pre this, um, I didn't want to offend people. Um, in my work environment, I was known as probably being quite aggressive and fairly, um, you know, I was in a world of media where you had to be. Um, but in my personal life, I was, um, I didn't want to offend. I, I have a big birthday in about four days and it's not four on. <laughs> um, and for me, I 100%, I want people in my life that are going to be supportive and that you can share and you can have robust conversation. But if, they, if people are not in my life because they enjoy our company or you're not getting anything out of it, it's, happy to, it's okay for them to leave you know, your, your world. Um, you know, for my friends, I've got a number of good friends, but, you know, two in particular, and one lives in Western Australia, and we see each other once a year, and God knows when we'll see each other in this COVID environment. And, you know, we talk four or five times a week, um, and we are still the very best of friends after 20 years of friendship. And my friends are my family. Um, they are so important to me. And um, I think that is the other thing. They don't have to be sitting here in your world. You can reach out. You know, I've got another friend in Sydney and she's amazing. I've got another friend who now lives in New Zealand and, you know, he's fantastic. Um, but it's okay to go through. You, you purge your wardrobe. Um, I would suggest if... if Purge those that are not there to support you and don't give you that joy. You know, I've, I've had some friends that, oh, God, every time I speak to them, I feel like my soul has been ripped out. And <laughs> I feel exhausted afterwards. Um, and it's like, mm, I'm not sure this is working for either of us. Um, and you can do it gently and it just happens. <laughs> Yeah, it, it does just happen. And I think by, uh, by showing the courage to do that, what you'll then do is, is you'll allow the right people in your life because you, yes. there's, there's only a certain number of revolving sort of acquaintances or friendships that you can have. And they think from an evolutionary point of view that the, the maximum group number was around about 120 to 150. So, you know, if you've got the social media platform of, you know, three or 4,000 friends, you're effectively <laughs> spreading yourself way too thin. And yeah. you're not able to get the reciprocal type nature of, of having a, a meaningful type relationship. And, and yeah, and I really, I really identify with that, Stephanie. And I, and I love, I love the, the rawness and the, the, the strength in which you talk about this stuff now, because it's really empowering. It's empowering to me as a, I'm, I'm 40 later this month. We share, I think you're a Gemini, I'm a Cancer. And uh, all this, 
and the different kind of cancer. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, <clears throat> I'm so excited about this next decade of my life because mm. I've, I've started to figure some of these things out. And that's why I was so excited to have you on as a guest of the show um, in the hope that you would, you know, share this story. So, you know, I'm really grateful that you've been able to be so open and honest because it will inspire. But this isn't it for, for Stephanie, is it? This is what have you got coming up in the not too near, uh, not too distant future, rather? Oh, gosh, I'm finding, I'm pivoting um, at the moment. I, I've got to be really honest. I don't know what my next step is. Um, I've been on a couple of boards, which I think is really important. For me, giving back. Um, and it might sound really um, cliche, I suppose. You know, I've had, had cancer and now I want to give back. Um, but it truly is like that. I want to use my marketing and comms skills uh, for good. Um, I turn jobs away um, if I don't feel like I can add any value and I need to do it for the right reasons. Now, that's not to say that I do everything with a social benefit because, you know, you, I still have to, you know, earn, earn some dosh. But, you know, I was on the board of the Cancer Council Victoria for six years, I think, um, and I volunteered to give that up because I felt I was no longer adding benefit to them. I do believe I did in, in the time that I was there um, and helped them with their marketing because, you know, they had a board that was very heavy in governance, um, which is right, but I was probably an unusual fit because I was a marketer and, and from comms. But giving back on boards was important and I'm now on a board called Sugar by Half, um, which I know you know very well. Um, so I'm really passionate about things that um, I will give back to. And I will always have Bowel Cancer Australia, you know, in the background. And as I said, you know, I'm, an, I'm quite an ambassador, but I also do work with them and we've made some real change there, I think. Um, I'm also really passionate about kids. Um, kids, you know, I've got a very sporty kid. Um, he does sports six days a week, which is why I got on the board of Sugar by Half, to be honest, because, you know, I see so many kids who have way too much sugar in their life. Um, and this came about from me going off sugar and I lost 14 kilos. Um, wow. Yeah. And the reason I... I went on it was because my cholesterol was really high. My dad's got diabetes. Um, he had high cholesterol. There's heart, heart attacks on both sides of the family. I thought, oh, yeah. I've had cancer. My mum's died of ovarian cancer. Um, dad's heart attack. I don't need to have a bloody heart attack as well. Um, so, and amazingly, um, my cholesterol has gone right down and is sitting where it should be. Um, this is all from dropping sugar out of my diet. Um, cholesterol gone down. My thyroid, which I had for 14 years, um, heart, I don't have to be on any medication. That's perfect again. Um, I feel better. I feel better about myself. And I've got a lot more stamina um, to run after my child who is constantly doing sport. So um, that for me is uh, really important. I want to help sugar by half. And I want to build um, things that make my heart sing. 
That's so great, Stephanie. And the um, the thing that was sort of swirling through my mind as you were describing the, the the medical issues that you had, there seems to be an overwhelming amount of data that suggests that sugar combined, well, sugar in general is very destructive, but if you combine it with the, the metabolic issues of being overweight and you don't need to be much overweight to be really badly affected. No. It, it, there's, like who's, who's not to say that the cancer was spawned by the, the sugar and the weight because they think that with a lot of, um, particularly like as you know, this crazy carnivore diet that I'm on, which is virtually a zero carbohydrate, most cancers are metabolic um, disorder, as in they are fueled by the, the glucose that, um, from the excess sugar. And there's, there is some, some peripheral stuff about people healing and treating some cancers by using a, a therapeutic ketogenic um, diet. Some of the stuff they've done, done for epilepsy and a bunch of other things as well, including being able to reverse things like type 1 diabetes, which is, which is some amazing groundbreaking stuff, right? So yes. can, you, can you just share a little bit more about what Sugar by Half is and, and the message that they, uh, we are trying to sort of promote really, I suppose? Um, so, you know, Sugar by Half is all about education and ed- educating people about where we're consuming sugar. And it's not saying cut sugar out totally, although that would be the best outcome, but cutting it in half, you know, soft drinks. Sugar is in so many comp- tomato sauce, bread, things that we just don't know. So it's all about education. Um, they've been doing some school education programs with Cool Australia that teachers can access. We're working with sporting clubs. Um, we're just out there, you know, I was appalled when my son was playing basketball and football. Uh, at the end of the game, you get a jelly snake. Why? Why do you get a jelly snake? Now, I'm really lucky. He has never drunk a soft drink. Um, he doesn't like sugar. And that's a lot of, you know, he's seen me and go through it. And I got him at a really good and impressionable time. Also, he's incredibly uh, concerned about his, he uses his body as a machine because he's a young athlete. Um, so he's probably on the extreme. But cancer, sorry, sugar has so many, um, they call it worse than cocaine when they've done tests with rats, etc. And I, I can't talk to the medical uh, aspect of that. That's Peter Bruckner's world, Brookie's world. But um, I certainly know that having cut sugar out for me, um, and that's not to say I've cut it out totally. Of course I have it occasionally. But, you know, the main part, um, I am a much fitter and healthier human and I will be around, I hope, for a lot longer for my son. Um, And I think that's the important thing. You know, from a health perspective, if we continue to eat as much processed food and sugar as we do, the health system and the health, it's just going to clog up and I think in, you know, Medibank, privates and all the insurance and GPs, they're all starting to work that out. If we actually invest in prevention, um, then we're going to have a much healthier society. And if we talk in dollar terms, it's going to save us a lot of dollars. Exactly right. And I read something really fascinating last year, Stephanie, that was that the US health system uh, was on track or the, they were on track to spend 100% of their GDP 
on healthcare by the year 2039. And I don't know if you know how close it is, but it's 19 years away. And, and so if you think, if you think a pandemic like COVID-19 is a problem, wait until there's no money for anything else, right? 100%. There's all the associated mental health issues. There's all the, the, the lost work, the productivity. Think about how much Mm -hmm. more productive you are now that you're 14, 16 kilos lighter. Like, it's no comparison. And, and as someone personally who has taken quite a lot of cocaine over the years um, and, and hasn't done for the last about four and a half, I think, years now that I've been total, total teetotaler, um, giving up sugar was fucking way harder. And, <laughs> and I loved cocaine. Don't worry about that. <laughs> it's the last thing. It's out of all the vices. I can talk to sugar. But <laughs> surprisingly in the world that I was, I wasn't doing. <laughs> well, you, I think you did well. I think um, uh, you know, I, and I'm I'm more than open to talk about it now because it's something no, which is great. Not it's not about me anymore, you know. And it, and it, um, I'm I'm actually mid, midway through writing my my very first book, Stephen, and and um, and I talk. There's a chapter in there about one particular night where I got very very drunk without eating any food and. Uh, used cocaine to straighten me out as I did many, many times. And it culminated in me being pursued by six police officers on foot down Burke Street in Melbourne. I'd been mistaken for uh, someone that had um, coward punched someone. Ironically, a few weeks after I'd filmed a commercial for Step Back Think, which is an ah. coward punch campaign. And, and I gave I know, I worked on that at NFL, so I know Oh, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, and, and I gave the, the cops some lip after being booted out from the barletters and, and I ran off and I, and, I, and I beat them. They pursued me in the divisional wagons and I, and I doubled back and I head down this, this alleyway and, um, uh, and then I had, I was, you know, the megaphone came out, freeze, come with your hands up. And I had guns and pepper spray and tasers pointed at me. And, um, and here I am handcuffed in my, on my knees uh, in, in a humbling experience in my life. And I'm explaining to the police that I'm the face of this anti-violence campaign and the two of them looking at on their phone on YouTube and they released me without arresting me. And they, they eventually caught the person who was the, the, the perpetrator um, driven by cocaine. Um, yeah. And I, you know, that was like that. Okay. Right. Okay. I can't do that anymore. Let's just, let's be a grown up now, Laban. But sugar, you know, emotional eating, um, eating, yeah. eating up to like a, two liters of custard plus a liter of ice cream at times, which is close to ten thousand calories. Like, it's um, it's incredibly. Oh, I, I eat a block of chocolate. I, you know, and I still, I still like a little bit of chocolate. <laughs> I must say, but I just don't have it anywhere near as often. Um, but I was still. It's a treat. It's not my everyday. Yeah, and I think that's the point, isn't it? Like, if you can, if you can cut out all the soft drinks and the artificial sweeteners, which are just as just as terrible, um, <laughs> you just you feel better and you're a more productive human, and you don't get as angry because your blood sugar is not spiking as much. And there's so many so many benefits that people don't even realise how how negatively it's affecting them, cramming their. Although well, my son might say that um, uh, over the COVID period, the anger came back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, 
I think I think if the worst thing you've done over this period, Stephanie has gotten a little bit agitated at things, um, you'd be in the, <laughs> be in the majority. Correct. Uh, but um, Stephanie, I'm, I'm very conscious of your time and, and the contribution you made today. And I, was there anything before we wrap this up that you'd like to to share with the audience that they might take some benefit from? I think trust your, when it comes to your health, trust your gut. Um, I think that's a really important thing. Uh, trust your gut. Enrich your soul with things that make your heart sing. And I know that sounds really naff, but do, because we're only here for a really short period of time. And um, there's, you know, no time to waste. We need to do things that really give us joy. And always, I always say, look on the positive side because there's always someone around the corner that is worse off than you. Um, and be kind. Uh, and finally, respect. You know, I say that to my son all the time. If you have respect for yourself, your body, your health, your family, your friendship, um, everything else will fall into place. No truer word was said. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephanie Bansomer-Brown. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.